today, um, Daniel is going to be teaching, and really, I think, more than just expositorily teaching the scripture, sharing a little more fully his own story. And uh, I want to encourage you today, and this is just the sense that I have from the Holy Spirit, is just an invitation to not resist God today. And I'm not saying that we try to, but humanly we do. I think as we move from children and we start to realize that there are certain people and experiences in life that hurt, that don't go well, we start resisting people and resisting situations. And I think the older we get, the more we can accumulate this practice of resisting. And it's possible to get into adulthood to where we resist a lot because we get hurt and we are offended or things don't go well. But I really believe God invites us to trust again to trust him again and to also trust the people that he brings into our lives to lead us, to talk to us, to pray for us. So my ask this morning, I believe it's from the Spirit, is to not resist the Father, not resist Jesus, not resist the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking through one who is talking, through one who is leading or sharing, then receive and don't resist God. I'm not saying take away filters, and we would say Daniel would admit that probably not everything he says this morning is 100% true. No, no, it is. Okay. (laughs) So everything Daniel says, you can accept this morning. No, but again, I just, I I ask you as a family, let God speak to you in whatever way that he does. Don't resist the Holy Spirit and receive what he has this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we love to come into your gathered presence with us. We thank you that you're with us always by the Spirit, but we recognize that you have promised where people gather in the name of Jesus, you come in a more full way. And we believe you've done that today, and we receive more of you today. We pray that out of that, Father, that you would speak to us, that you would rescue us, that you would heal us, that you would lead us. Jesus, would you lead us as your church today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, I was uh, joking with a friend this week. I uh, said, somewhere between 10 to 20% of my theology is wrong at any given point. I just don't know which 10 or 20%. So we just kind <clears> of <throat> do what we can. Right now, we're in the middle of our People of Yahweh series. Uh, we're coming near the end of it, and it's been such an incredible journey kind of looking through what does it mean to be the People of Yahweh Um, here today by looking and going through the passage of Isaiah 43. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 43, uh, and we'll be diving into it uh, together. Right now, um, we've got three more weeks left of this series, and we're kind of crescendoing. We're kind of stepping up and saying, okay, what is next? What is now? What do we do? Where do we go from here? And uh, after we're done with this series, we're going to do a series on Advent. And then after the series on Advent, uh, we're going to start back again in Acts in January. And so part of this is a little bit of a preamble, because where we left off in Acts, remember, was Acts chapter 8, and we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 9. And Acts chapter 9 is like mayhem. It's chaos. Uh, Paul uh, converts to Christianity. Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit comes upon Gentiles. It's just like starting in the middle of an action movie. So to kind of prepare our hearts, prepare us for what all is coming, and I'm hoping that as a church we're stepping into that in January as well, uh, we're going through what does it mean for us to be the people of Yahweh here and now. So let's go ahead and pick up the passage for today, starting in verse 16. Thus says Yahweh, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, 
army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So, that's the passage. Now, I know in this series, we've been kind of doing like one or two verses at a time, and this is like a mouthful to go through all this together. But I thought we'd break it into pieces and engage with it that way. Sound like a plan? Okay, let's look at verse 16 and 17. Thus says the Lord, or some of your Bibles say Yahweh, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. So this is the prophet, the author, saying the Lord, Yahweh, is about to say something and then recalls back to a story of Yahweh to remind us who Yahweh is, who's talking. And I've said this before, and you'll probably hear me say it again. Uh, the people of Israel engaged with a new Yahweh through story. They would say, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we think back to the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're engaging with who Yahweh is. So similarly, right now, what's happening is the prophet is saying, Yahweh, this person is about to say something. We haven't gotten to what Yahweh's saying yet. We're still on the preamble here. And then he says this, this is Yahweh who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Anyone have a guess at what story is being referenced here? Moses and the Red Sea, that's exactly right. It's Exodus 14. If you want to turn there and read later, you can. It's an incredible story. The people of Israel, the people of Yahweh, are crunched up against the Red Sea, and they see pillars, they see this army coming, these clouds of dust, and armies coming, the Egyptian armies coming to wipe out an entire nation. And the Lord commands Moses to raise his staff and put his hand over the sea, and the waters part. And it describes a wall of water on either side. And it's a miraculous moment. And there are two lessons, I think two main lessons that we see in the story, that Yahweh is really powerful, and that he sees the plight of his people, and he cares enough to do something about it. And, the, and then it keeps going, keeps describing this story. Who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the warrior. That was a big part of the, of the Egyptian army. Exodus 14 talks about the chariot. It talks about the horses and how they came in and how they were extinguished like a wick to save the nation of Israel. This is the story. So keep that in mind. When we're thinking about Yahweh, remember the story of Exodus 14 and let's hear the words of Yahweh to his people, starting in verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now, I just want to pause here really quick. Is, this is a really funny verse after just referencing something that happened in the past, right? He just referenced something in the past. He's saying, remember not the former things. And we're going to dive. He's not saying, don't ever think about something that's happened in the past. He's saying, and let's actually keep going. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I think sometimes what happens is we let, we hang on to the past in a way that it determines our future. 
instead of remembering the past just so it can inform our future. And he's calling us into something deeper here and not being hung up or letting the past dictate what we do next or how we behave now or what we expect from God. And you can see it. He says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Then the question, do you not perceive it? Are you so hung up on the past that you're not seeing what I'm doing now? This is the question that he's asking his people. He, he keeps going. He says, I, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What do we know about wildernesses? That, I mean, if something has a road, I don't know if I really call it a wilderness. It's got a path. It's got, you can get, you know, there's a road, there's somewhere you're going. Okay, so wildernesses don't have paths. What about deserts? Lots of water or not very much water? Not very much water. I was hoping for one smart aleck, lots of water, but I don't know. No one did it. That's okay. Squirrel. Squirrel, yeah. Uh, we look at what Yahweh is saying. He's saying, are you so hung up? You know what a wilderness is like that you're not seeing the path I'm making through it? You know what a desert is like? And so when there's a river in the middle of it, are you not perceiving that? Do you not see it? And look, it's so, it's so apparent what I'm doing. Look at the next verse. Even the wild beasts will honor me because of this. The jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The jackals and the ostriches aren't hung up on the past at all. They care about water now. And when they look for it they, and they find it, they rejoice. They honor Yahweh for the water, for the nourishment, for the sustenance. He says, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. You know, there's one command in this passage. Behold. Behold. Look, notice, see. I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Can you see what's going on? Behold. Behold. Take this in. Um, in, in Albania, uh, there's a great phrase. It's ake parasush, which what it, what it means is, uh, do, you have a, do you have a frame of reference? Do you understand what I'm saying? Have you ever experienced this before? But the transliteration of it is, have you ever had it before your eyes? Ake parasush. And that's what's going on here. Do you perceive the new thing that God's doing? And that is what he's asking his people of. And to be frank, um, this is something that's a human problem in a lot of ways, to where we keep hanging on to the past and we're missing what's happening in the present. And particularly uh, with things of the spiritual nature, of regarding the Holy Spirit or regarding engaging with Yahweh. And we see Jesus even deal with this with the Pharisees. Go ahead and turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 9. And actually, this isn't even Jesus dealing with the Pharisees directly. This is Jesus dealing with disciples of John the Baptist, but who had, in this case, a really Pharisaical uh, mindset. And I don't mean hypocritical by that. I just mean acting like the Pharisees did. So look at verse 14 with me. Then the disciples of John came to him, came to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? 
And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. What's happening? John's disciples are coming to Jesus and saying, hey, we're noticing your disciples aren't doing things the way we've always done them. They're, they're not fasting. We're fasting. The Pharisees are fasting. We know fasting is a good thing. How come your disciples aren't fasting? And Jesus chides them in two ways. The first he says is, why would they fast when the bridegroom is here? That makes no sense. I'm here with them bodily, present right now. Why would they do? Well, it doesn't even make sense for them to fast. And then he chides them a second way. And he says, and plus, look, look, look at uh, verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. I had to do, just imagine me in my home office this week trying to do mental math to figure out that verse. I'm like, wait, what? I need to know about laundry. Okay, how do I? The idea is, if you have a, a garment that's already been shrunk, and you put an unshrunk piece of cloth on it to cover a hole, and you sew it up, and then it goes through the laundry again, and that piece of cloth shrinks, it's now no longer big enough to cover the hole and the garment tears again. You can't put the, you can't patch up the old with the new. You gotta put new wine, new wineskins. And again, I see this in my own heart where I don't let that happen. I look at the past and I say, no, this is good. I understand it and I'm good with it. And I sense God calling me to more. And it's hard to join him there sometimes saying, I've got new wine. I've got new wineskins. Come with me. Don't try and patch this thing up. Come with me. Come with me on this journey. Sometimes we approach life, we approach church, we approach our families, um, and, and what we do, and this is healthy, is we approach with just dependence. Say, what do you have for us, Jesus? We're with you now. Whatever it is, we're with you. Anytime, any place, anyone, anywhere, we're with you. Call us forward. We're with you. And I think this passage, um, um, I think this passage is a prophetic word for our church, for us as a family. I think God is calling us into a new thing. I think he's calling us forward. He's calling us out saying, hey, let's step into something beautiful. Let's step into something new. I'm doing something new. Do you see it? I'm doing something new. Are you going to join me? And, yeah. I've, and I feel like this passage is for me personally. Um, we, the, the last few years have been a wilderness for my family um, in, in a lot of ways. And actually, going through a wilderness is a really biblical thing. We see tons of people in the Bible. Go, here's a list of names of people in the Bible. It's not even a complete list, exhaustive. It's just a bunch of names. Hagar, Moses, Elijah, Ruth, David, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, the nation of Israel. Going through the wilderness with Yahweh is a really common biblical theme. Going through the wilderness. I, I mean, so... 
I, frankly, I guess I shouldn't be surprised when wilderness comes to my doorstep. And here, I'll, I'll share a bit of the story. So uh, our daughter's four now. Um, when my wife was pregnant with her, she got a three-foot-long blood clot down her left leg. Terrifying. I'm scared. Am I going to lose my wife? Am I going to lose my unborn baby? What's going to happen here? We don't know. It took us months to get good medical care to figure out why she got a three-foot-long blood clot down her leg. It was just like a real chilling moment. And at that point, we had been planning our entire marriage to leave America and go back to Albania where I grew up and plant a church. That's what we felt like we were supposed to do. That's where we felt like our giftings and our callings and everything was coming together. And we go and we visit a doctor, finally getting good medical care, and we say, Doc, what do you think? Could we ever live in Albania? And he just looked at us and said, I mean, she you, looked at me and said, your wife could die dicing tomatoes if there's not a good hospital or ambulance service nearby. I mean, I'm not going to say yes or no for you, but that's a decision you need to make. And so we went away to pray. I'd been dreaming about this for years, feeling called. Went away to pray, Lord, what do you have for us? I felt like God gave us a few things. One of them was a heart for Tualatin and Sherwood. And so we said, okay, Lord, okay. And so we stepped into that. And we did, and um, it was a beautiful season. Some of you were there, some of you know my story that we started a fifth gathering of the church I was at, Westside in Tualatin. Um, and it was a beautiful thing. God was on the move. It was just incredible. And not, uh, not even a year into it, um, you know, Jill was pregnant with the twins and Asher passed away in the womb. Man, it's hard. It's really hard. And then, you know, fast forward a month or two and Levi's born. And he's got a hard life. Seizures and crying out in pain and just sleepless nights and just awful. And then three months after he's passed away, the, or after, after, um, after he was born, three months later, the elders shut down the Tualatin gathering. It's gone, this source of life and hope and family and joy and just poof. In a couple of weeks. Man. And then, six months later, Levi passes away. Like, desert, wilderness, hardship. It's, it's, it's the story. It's our story. There's a, in this season, um, I try to take a day away every quarter to sit and be alone, day of solitude, listen to God. And I try and bring a book with me to read. And one of them, um, a few times ago I did this, was Eugene Peterson's book, The Pastor. Um, where he just wrote a memoir about becoming a pastor and what does it mean to be a pastor. And it was a powerful book. And uh, this, is, this is where this teaching is really unique because it's a lot of my story and it's a lot of Eugene's story and it's not a ton of exegesis, but I feel like we can take a break from that sometimes for uh, days like today. And in this book, uh, we're going we're gonna to read a bunch of the book together today. I hope that's okay. Um, in this book, we're coming into the place in the story. Eugene Peterson planted this church in Maryland, and they're three years in, and they just completed their building campaign, and they have their own building. Okay? And this is where we pick up the story. You can go ahead and hit the next slide. As a kind of malaise seemed to spread through the congregation, I could also feel the adrenaline drain out of my bloodstream. How could I recapture the spirited purpose that 
infuse so much energy into the, our congregation, finding ourselves as part of something new, a fresh expression on Maryland soil of this magnificent story of salvation, following Jesus as if for the first time on the roads and sidewalks of this suburban wilderness. Next slide. Keeps going. I had no way of knowing it at the time, but I was entering into a time of my life that I later named the Badlands. And I had no way of knowing how long I would be there. It was going to last six years. That last line just chills me. It's the voice of wisdom. It's the voice of, of, of a man looking back at his life, saying it was going to last six years. And the Badlands, by the way, every summer, Eugene Peterson was a pastor for 30 years in Maryland, would load up his whole family in a car, and they would drive from Maryland to his family's cabin in Montana for the month of August. They would just go. And every year, they would go through the Badlands, North Dakota, <laughs> where it's barren and nothing's growing, nothing's going on. And it's just always the worst part of the drive, the Badlands. And it's just interesting seeing him take this story and, 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 and superimpose it over that car ride. And it kind of helps me picture, picture the Badlands. So anyways, in the middle of the Badlands, he and his wife go to a professor and ask for some advice about what to do in the Badlands. You can go ahead and hit the next slide. We told him of this continuing Badlands period in our lives and how interminable it seemed to be. Wasn't there something to do? He warned us against shortcuts. He encouraged us to submit ourselves to the boredom, the refining fire of non-performance, not to be in a hurry. He said, a lot is going on when you don't think anything is going on. And I think that's really true. I mean, night after night after night holding Levi, you just, if you, if with Jill and I, we just take turns watching our boy. Um, because he didn't have a brain, so he couldn't, he never was able to develop sleep patterns or anything, and so we just took turns every other night, sleeping or not sleeping, while one of us watched him. I watched a lot of The Great British Baking Show, if I'm honest. I needed a show that I could like fall asleep to that I didn't care about what was going on, but I was like, hmm, stodgy, okay, great. So, you know, to me, that's the refining fire of non-performance. That's hard. That's a hard space to be in. Sitting there holding my boy, trying to get a couple hours sleep in. I'm not being, I mean, productive? Forget about it. Later in life and later in the book, he recalls major lessons that he learned in the Badlands. This next slide. In the Badlands, I had been incrementally realizing that there is far more to this Christian life than getting it right. There is living it right. Learning the truth of God, the gospel, the scriptures, involves understanding words, concepts, and history. But living it means working through a world of deception, of doubt and suffering, a world of rejections and betrayal and idolatry. We don't grow and mature in our Christian life by sitting in a classroom and a library, listening to lectures and reading books, or going to a church, singing hymns and listening to sermons. Next slide. We do it by taking the stuff of our ordinary lives, our parents, our children, our spouses and friends, our workplaces and fellow workers, 
our dreams and fantasies, our attachments, our easily accessible gratifications, our depersonalizing of intimate relations, our commodification of living truths into idolatries, taking all this and placing it on the altar of refining fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And finding it all stuff redeemed for a life of holiness. Be holy, therefore, as the Lord your God is holy. The Badlands are really hard to go through. And some of you are in the Badlands right now. Some of you are remembering when you were in the Badlands. Or maybe, like me, you were in the Badlands and it's time to exit and you're not exiting well. This is me. Um, I've got something I need to share with you guys. And um, uh, we told Eden, so now it's pretty much public, but um, Jillian's 19 weeks pregnant, um, which is, yeah. Um, And part of the reason we haven't been telling people is because it's a really hard conversation to have. Jill's pregnancies are a badlands for me in a big way. I don't know what it's like to have her be pregnant and not have someone I love's life be in danger. So the conversation always goes, you know, Jill's pregnant. Oh my gosh, are you excited? And no. I'm I'm anticipating the worst. I look forward and I see a wall of pain. That's not good. That's not good. I was meeting with a pastor friend of mine, a guy named Bill, and um, I was sharing with him about this, and I said, honestly, like, I just don't have hope for this pregnancy. I'll I'll have hope and joy when there's a live child in my hands, but right now, I don't know, I just don't have hope. He said, Daniel, you're not trusting God with your hope in this pregnancy. You're just trying to protect yourself. And let's just say, let's just say you lose this baby too. Let's just say. You think this act of trying to protect yourself is going to help you at all? And then I come to this passage. Let's turn back to Isaiah 43. Thus says Yahweh, thus says the Lord. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Can you see what's going on right in front of you? I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing new life. Wake up, Daniel. Celebrate. After finishing my conversation with Bill, I went to my car and I said to myself for the first time, we're going to have another baby. And, and I just sobbed for 30 minutes. I'm not all the way there. I'm, this, it's hard for me to share with you guys. It's hard for me to share. 
behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you see how it springs forth? I'm making, you know this wilderness you see in front of you? I'm making a way through that. You see this desert of dry ground? Yahweh's saying, I'm putting a river there. Can you see it? Will you step into it with me? I feel like where I'm at, and maybe some of you are with me, is I'm letting the wilderness block the view of what God's doing in my life. And I can't let that happen. I can't let that go on anymore. And if you're there with me, you can't either. We need to trust God. We need to step with him in this. Step forward in this. And do you know why? Do you know why God is doing this? You know why God is providing a way in the wilderness or rivers in the desert? Look down at verse uh, 20 with me. We'll skip the wild beasts and the ostriches. That's a good time, but... For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. People of Yahweh, you are the chosen people. People of Yahweh, God is putting rivers in your life to drink from so that you might praise him. And that's what we get to do as a family. We get to gather every week Take a moment to worship together, to celebrate, to step in. Say, God, I see you're doing a new thing, and I'm going to join you in it. Honestly, this church, to me, is, is a new thing springing forth, just in my life, personally. We were going to Albania, and that got shut down. We were going into Wallace, and that got shut down. And this is, you guys, this is almost too good to be true. And a part of me, a part of my brain is still in the, is still in the wilderness saying, someone's going to take this away. Someone's going to come in and swoop this way or blow this up or something like that. That's just not true. This is a new thing. We are a new thing. We're surrounded by a city that's dry and barren that needs a path that needs water. And we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this place. And to wake up every day, every day, Lord, what are you doing today? What is the new thing you're doing today? It, from my vantage point, it looks like a wilderness. Okay, maybe we still are in the wilderness. Where's the manna? Where's the water? How are you gonna sustain us? How are you gonna point us through? How are we gonna walk with you through this wilderness? Like Eugene, we're not going to look for shortcuts, we're going to be in it. Or if you're like me, maybe it's time to exit the wilderness. Exit well. Remember not the former things. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. Um, is, is New Wine the first song, David? There's this song, it might be new for most of you, it's called New Wine. And um, it's just been a powerful song in my life and our life as a family this last season. And um, if you don't know it, I hope you can learn it and uh, even sing along at some point in the song. But if you don't know it, just listen to the words and let them wash over you. Because um, Yahweh is doing a new thing. And we get to join him in it. 
And that really, really excites me. And it's an honor to do it with all of you. So let's stand and pray together.